Hey, it's Matt Bovee from It's Always Game Day in Buffalo. This NFL offseason, we can fit 25 hours in a day, and that's because of podcasts that make you more productive. When you're folding laundry, paying bills, making omelets, or any other tasks that you've got to get done, listen while you work. Do your chores and be entertained all at the same time. It's all about the bills, the news, insight, analysis, and of course, some jokes too, on demand, so it fits into your busy schedule. Follow the It's Always Game Day in Buffalo podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop. And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order, order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Bills Mafia, we know there's only one topic every day, all Bills, all the time. And now Matt Bovee and Sal Capaccio are going really deep, talking Bills all year long, because it's always game day in Buffalo. All right, it's always game day in Buffalo. Welcome to the NFL Scouting Combine 2024, Sal Capaccio, Matt Bovee. Matt, it's been a couple years since I've been here. You pretty much come every year. Things have changed a little bit, including this setup where we are in this room. Yeah, it's a little bit different this year, but it is always one of the most fun weeks of the year for NFL media and for everybody who follows the sport. All right, so we heard from Sean McDermott on Monday when we got in. We'll talk more about what he said, but in the meantime, got my guy Emery Hunt who just walked by here a little while ago, CBS Sports HQ, football game plan. Good to see you, man. It's always great to see you this time of year. This is your time. Like, you know, I mean, we, we associate Easter with the Easter Bunny, Christmas with Santa. I, I associate the draft with Emory Hunt. Yeah, I try to be, man. I try to be that, that mascot for the draft, right? But it's always good to see you out here in public and because uh, we know we just love to talk ball, and that's what we're here to do. All right, so yesterday, Sean McDermott doubled down again on explosive plays. He talked about rack, run after catch. He talked about throwing the ball downfield. It's something the Bills were 19th in the league in last year, 20-plus yard pass plays. That's something they have to improve on. We have been talking wide receivers, but we have to specifically look at maybe the explosive play wide receivers. They're picking 28th. What's the pickings there for them? You know what's funny? I just finished grading receivers, so I have – all the information on these guys, right? Yeah. Like, so you talk about – that's why I was always hesitant when people say Marvin Harrison Jr. is in a clear-cut number. I'm like, hold on now. Like, yeah. I done watched a lot of explosive guys so far in this draft class. Malik Neighbors is someone that is, is obviously probably won't be there, but he's a great one. How about um, Adani Mitchell out of Texas? The bigger receivers, kind of like C.D. Lamb in my opinion, where he's a bigger guy, but when he has the ball in his hands, he's looking to score like he's a 5'8", 175-pound receiver. You think about uh, Jaquan, uh, Jahan Jackson, the receiver out of Tulane. Shorter guy, quick, explosive, can you know really go, give you that true traditional slot guy. But if you're looking for you know these bigger slot receivers that you may not get at 28, how about Jalen Coker out of Holy Cross? He was an outside guy at Holy Cross, but he's 6'1", 218. He could bang inside, and he's physical after the catch. He brings that physicality. Brian Thomas, we talked about him before. Another one that can really go. He's a big receiver, and you don't normally associate guys that are 6'3", 6'4", 215 as catch-and-run guys, but he's definitely one. So there's a, a bevy of those type of players in this draft class. Um, Javon Baker of UCF, another one that he's can go. He's been a lot of run lately. Why, why is he shooting up the boards? Because people only remember what they saw last, right? So everyone saw him at the Senior Bowl. But if you go back and watch him during the season, he was doing a lot of those things. People forget he was an Alabama guy. Speaking of Alabama, Jermaine Burton, that's another one. Transferring in from Georgia, he is phenomenal off the ball. When I'm t- talking about them, talking about someone that can get into his routes, he's open a lot. Yeah. 
And it's just unfortunate that he didn't get the ball a lot because the offensive line was an issue at Alabama. But he's explosive. He's dynamic. He can win short, intermediate, deep down the field. So this is a great class for wide receivers. You touched on a couple names that I think Bills fans kind of are they're on their radar. When they look at mock drafts right now, there's two names that almost always come up, and it's Keon Coleman and it's Troy Franklin for the Bills, kind of in that 28 range. Between those two guys, who do you think is maybe the more upside player? Because obviously we're projecting at this point, but those are names that Bills fans want to know more about. I may have been uh, an illegitimate child of Al Davis because I'm always going to side with speed, right? <laughs> so when you look at Franklin, Franklin can fly, and he's someone that can win short, intermediate, deep. Um, and we know Josh Allen can really throw end zone to end zone, so it doesn't matter how far you can run because Allen's going to be able to give him the football. But I think Franklin has the upside because I still feel like he could fill out his frame. Coleman is a dog. I love Coleman. Like You, you could always tell me on guys that's going to go up, get the ball, and talk trash. I'm all, all for that, yeah, right? Yeah. And so, But if you're talking about upside – um, some may say Coleman, but it's, Coleman has played a lot of ball. He's at Michigan State. And, you know, he's at Florida State. And now you look at um, Franklin, but Franklin can, can really go, man. He'll, he'll thicken out a bit as he gets older, uh, but he won't lose that speed. He, you can see – I'm not saying he's a one-to-one, but how Ted Ginn was able just to fly and take the top off the defense or could take a slant and just run. Franklin has – better speed I feel like than Ginn and more well-rounded as a wide receiver. So, so Coleman's been a little polarizing with Bills fans because we all also remember the Calvin Benjamin experiment and people are kind of comparing him big-bodied guy he's not a separator that's why he has contested catches is that fair? That's not fair at all because yeah. Benjamin was um, Benjamin reminds me a lot of what the other Florida State receiver is Wilson okay. he's built like that and more of a tight end type body a flex tight end type but Coleman is built like a, a, a shooting guard. He's built like he's lean. He's athletic. He could jump. He could sky. He literally plays above the rim. And all those basketball references you want to use, that's Coleman. Coleman is, is a much better wide receiver from a technique standpoint, from a route running standpoint, from a focus standpoint. He doesn't have those drops that Benjamin was played with in college and also uh, in the pros. Completely different receiver. And I can see someone like Coleman being able to play inside as a as a I call it still call it a flanker but a Z and also as a split in or an X as it means you're old if you call it a flanker exactly. like me who's your favorite outside of the top three and I know that's kind of a tough question to answer but I think there's a very consensus okay these are the three guys and I don't think the Bills have any chance in any of the top three unless they make some crazy trade but who's your favorite after that top group listen I attended eight all-star games so starting in Canada at the East-West Bowl to the HBCU Legacy Bowl, which I was at last weekend. And so I, I dug deep. So this guy, he's probably he's, he's a day three guy, but, man, I, I just love watching him play. That's John Giles of West Florida. So he was dominant at the College Gridiron Showcase, just like easy. This is, this is light work for me. Got the call up to the Hula Bowl and was excellent there. So now you've seen a guy go from D2 play against some, you know, FCS G5 competition at the College Gridiron Showcase, goes to the Hula Bowl where you're dealing with G5 Power 5 competition and really did well. He's 6'2", 215, he can fly, and he goes up and gets the football. And then you go back and watch him uh, in the season against Florida A&M. So now you get the, the, okay, D2 playing an FCS opponent. You know, that's a good matchup because Florida A&M has two defensive backs that are going to be good next year. Um, so it's a great measuring stick of how good this kid is he's a really good receiver it's one of my favorite deep sleepers in the class do you agree with the top three i mean i guess you'd say it's well, obviously harrison and neighbors and rome adunze i'm saying his name right i want to make sure but do you agree with that uh, here's the thing and and it's not a disagree in terms of i don't think harrison can play 
um, I think he's an excellent receiver, and he has an 80 grade for me. So he's he's a guy that I feel like could be a consistent Pro Bowl player. But and you know I break down the draft in terms of splits, slots, flankers, and inside big inside receivers. So four different categories. And so I have Roma Dunze as my number one X. I, I'm a big fan of Xavier Leggett out of South Carolina. I love Coleman. Neighbors is my number one uh, you know, um, flanker. So he can really just go. Slot, I'm a big Lab McConkie guy. That's my number one guy. And so right now uh, with his grade, Marvin Harrison Jr. is like my fourth or fifth you know, um, flanker. Because I don't think he's a split. Because I, I think his route running needs a little bit more power. Is he a tweener, basically? I think he's... I think he's someone that is better off the ball because he doesn't do well versus press and his route running isn't as polished. And so when you look at it from that scope, I feel like, and it's not a negative, but I do feel like he's kind of a one-dimensional route runner. He only can win one way. But when you look at the other guys, they're explosive down the field. They're explosive with the ball in their hands. And, yes, Harrison is a great, like, go-ball guy, right, great up-top guy. But in terms of, like, can we use him on the short plays? Can we use him on, you know, kind of like these quick hitters to catch and run? That's not his game. And his route running has to improve in order for that to be his game. Last one for me. If any of if there's a position taken by the Bills in the first round that isn't a wide receiver, people are going to lose their mind. But the other positions that they desperately need help at are safety and defensive tackle. Which position is better in this draft for those two kind of spots? I haven't gotten to the defensive side of the ball yet, okay. but just off just uh, you know just viewing of football all throughout the season, D line. Yeah. Listen, all the All Star games I've gone to. It's been like a D line, an interior D lineman that has stood out. Like every game, it's like, damn, this guy from Texas A&M Commerce is killing it. This kid from Texas is killing it. This kid from North Carolina is like, man. So the interior defensive line, and that's what it all starts. All three of us could be in the back end if, if you know, we have great defensive front seven play, right? You know, I don't know how you guys run, but I'm pretty sure you guys can cover the, you know, <laughs> hash of the sideline, right? Yeah. But I think D line, you start there first. That affects the game. And then you work your way back with guys that can you could win with smart and discipline more so than the height, weight, speed guys. But if you get those guys that are dominant up front first, then you could wait to take a guy later in the draft at different positions that may have one trait that you like, you know. We would lose our podcasting license if we didn't ask a draft analyst about quarterbacks. Even though the Bills don't need one, they have Josh Allen. Right. They could be in the market later on for a backup. But let's talk about the top guys. How do you handicap the top of the quarterback draft board? Well, here's my top five, right? And, um, you know, I, I I don't care about the consensus, right? So, um, Caleb Williams. I want to point out, in 2018, I always remember this. You were the guy that first told me Lamar Jackson should be higher than he is. Yeah. He kept saying it to me. And, I mean, look, I mean, he's won two MVPs since then, so I always remember that and give you credit. Yeah, it's, it's crazy how, like, the game kind of dictates where they, yeah. they should go. So, Williams, to me, is, is number one. Um, Jaden Daniels is number two. My number three is Spencer Rattler. I've been on this since Ben, you know. So, Spencer Rattler, is, he, he has had a pro career in college in terms of the ups and downs, so we know he can weather the storm. Four, this is a shocker to folks, but had he not gotten hurt, Jordan Travis is playing fantastic football the ball moves like the, the offense just keeps moving down the field whether you know i call him the malcolm x quarterback by any means necessary the ball is going down the field right run game pass game he plays great situationally like josh allen does great in the red, red zone like that's when he locks in so he's excellent when you need him to be excellent right and five is drake may i think drake may is good but you know when you're watching the games of drake may you always come away thinking like there's something missing. Like, what, what, what is the it that 
gets people going, okay, that's what he – like, if, let's say if it's Josh Allen, it's a, it's a rocket arm. Or if it's Lamar, it was an insane athleticism. What is it with, you know, mate, he's good, but what's the great of his game? And that's the part. I, that's, I think he should be – if I was picking, he probably would be a later first, second-round pick, but definitely a starter because I feel like he's on that Tannehill-Herbert uh, thing. And the thing about the Herbert comparison that I see a lot, for me it's the Herbert um, that – doesn't do well in late game situations. Yeah. Like you know, Josh Allen is gonna lock in, and you know they're gonna go score, field goal or touchdown. They're getting down the field. With Herbert, you know an interception is coming, yeah. and you, he could play great the three quarters, play a, be a part of the wheel, all of those things. But when they need him to lock in and be Herbert, he doesn't show up. And May, I feel like has some of that, but May also has the he the difference in him and Herbert. He is not afraid to take off and run. He knows he's an athlete and will pick up 20 yards easily, pick up 40 yards easily. He's looking to score. So I like that about his game. I just feel like he – and a good part of the reason why he's fifth, but still I like him because he has upside because he came out early. Yeah. So, you know, he has room to grow. I feel smarter. I feel a lot smarter. <laughs> I feel like I know way more about this draft. Tell everybody where they can follow all your coverage. Follow me on Twitter at FBallGamePlan. Pre-order the draft guide, which has over a 1,000 individual scouting reports, footballgameplan.com slash 2024 draft guide. You can see me on CBS Sports HQ all throughout the draft as well. Beautiful. Always love you, man. Thanks. You're like a kid in the candy store this week, um, aren't you? This is, oh, listen, this is my time. <laughs> I'm about to go interview some coaches, GMs, and, you know, try to see what they see what they try to say. So, I, oh, yeah, they're picking this guy. They're picking that guy. <laughs> yeah. Trying to sure. park through. Emery Hunt, thanks for joining us, buddy. Appreciate you guys. Great stuff from Emery Hunt right there, Matt. Yeah, I, I think he has some interesting takes, but before anybody goes, oh, my gosh, Marvin Harrison, Drake May, he was the first guy I heard tell me mm-hmm. Lamar Jackson should be higher than he is and going ahead of some of these other quarterbacks in 2018. It always – I don't think it's going to happen with Marvin Harrison, but it always happens with some prospect who is super highly touted that ends up falling a little bit. It feels like last year it was Will Levis. Go to another quarterback. There were people who thought, oh, maybe Will Levis is going to be the first overall pick, yep. and then he watched himself fall. Even the Josh Allen draft class – for a little while, we thought Josh might go one, and then people thought he was going to slip, and then the Bills obviously loved him. Weird things happen at this time of year, but it's cool to talk to somebody who has watched so many of those guys because for a lot of us, you see it on film, you see it in games, you don't go and see them actually at like an HBCU bowl or some other random bowl that's going on. So really, really good insight. All right, so yesterday, we're here recording on Tuesday. Sean McDermott spoke to the Buffalo media on Monday, got a little head start because he's on the competition committee. He has meetings all week. Just a couple of things that were interesting and of note that he said. For me, one of the top things he talked about was, again, kind of doubling down on explosive plays. I went back and looked, Matt, 19th in the league last year. The Bills were on 20-plus yard pass plays from scrimmage. I think the Bills really want to make a concentrated effort to do better there. But he also mentioned rack. Run after catch. It's kind of a spot we've been the last couple of years of the team wanting to add there. Same old theme. It feels like over and over and over again and good because we just talked a lot about wide receivers and it feels like that should be the area that they focus on, whether that's in free agency or whether that's in the draft. They probably do it both. I think Gabe Davis is going to be somebody that they ultimately let walk. He's not a big rack guy. Gabe Davis is a beat you down the field guy. Khalil Shakir has shown that he can do it, probably better than anybody else that they have on their roster at the moment. And obviously, Stefan Diggs is still their number one guy. But they need one of those guys who, when you get the ball in their hands, they can pop off one every once in a while. I think they thought Trent Sherfield was going to be able to do that a little bit. About Deontay Hardy. Deontay Hardy, the same thing. We saw it 
a few times at the end of the year, but with the cap hit that he has, I don't know if you can keep that guy for that much money. So I think you go back to the well and you try it again. You try a couple more flyers like you did on Sherfield, like you did on Hardy. You hope this time they hit and obviously use a premium asset on it in the draft. And then he also, well, actually, let me, before I move on to the next one, let me kind of continue on that theme. He didn't rule out, I mean, he just kind of used rack, but getting the ball down the field, throwing the ball deep down the field. That's why when we talk about explosive plays, I'm not interested in as many receivers who are the big body contested type. I think you have to look at guys who are shifty, who can get down the field, explosives off the line of scrimmage. I, when I'm listening to Emery, Troy Franklin just pops out to me. He's going to be a name that I think a lot of people kind of fall in love with. It feels like every year there is one of those players, and if they don't get one of those guys, people riot. Last year, they did a little bit of a curveball with the Dalton Kincaid pick, but I think a lot of Bills fans were going into the draft really wanting Jordan Addison or Zay Flowers or one of those types of guys. If they can find somebody who can stretch the field but can also just have blazing speed, I think that's what this team desperately needs. That was one of the things about Gabe Davis. Gabe Davis is I'm a lot higher on Gabe Davis than a lot of people are. He's a really good down-the-field stretch, but it, a player who can stretch the field, but sometimes he separates to get s- separation. I, did struggles. I say, struggles. I said separates to yeah. get separation. Struggles to get separation. So Troy Franklin feels like he's a little bit of both. He can stretch the field, but also he can get that separation and, like he said, maybe bust off a big slant for a huge gain or something like that. And then you brought it up with Emery, the other positions on defense. I don't think you'd draft a safety that high, um, especially the way the game is changing. A lot of two-safety looks. Sean McDermott talked about it yesterday. I know they love the higher, the hide-employer type of thing, and we don't know what's going to happen with either one of them. But I do feel like they'll address it in some manner. However, defensive line, a lot of work to do there, and that might be an area we need to start looking at. Yeah, it is. But at the same time, I don't think that you feel any different about your chances if you go and you get a stud defensive tackle. Let's say you go in the first round and you take a defensive tackle. Do you really feel like you're better able to go toe-to-toe? Because I do think Daquan Jones is coming back. So are you really going to go and use that premium of an asset on a player who's going to be in some sort of rotation with Ed Oliver and with Daquan Jones? If you absolutely love the player, I understand it, but it feels like a wide receiver makes a much more immediate impact just by having them on the field. The Bills right now, assuming they let Gabe Davis walk, do not have somebody who can be on the field for as many snaps as they need out of a wide receiver. You have Stephon Diggs, who has seen his snap counts go down, and Khalil Shakir is very much like an interior slot guy. He can line up on the boundary, too. But I think you get more bang for your buck, and I also just keep thinking back to Brandon Bean has never drafted a wide receiver on day one or day two of the NFL draft. I feel like that changes. I think defensive tackle might be their second most important need, but it's also something that they have addressed in the draft before. Change it up a little bit this time around. All right, and then Sean McDermott also addressed the defensive changes in the coaching staff. We really don't have much more clarity, but I'm wondering what you think. Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Sal Capaccio, Matt Bove. We are live at the NFL Scouting Combine 2024. Lots of people filtering in now. We're just before coaches and GMs get rolling on Tuesday. Brandon Bean's going to speak to the media at 1.15 today. So by the time you hear this, you probably have already spoken, but we'll have our thoughts on it a little bit later in the week. All right, Bobby Babbage, the new defensive coordinator. Sean was asked immediately, 
yesterday, do you know who's going to call defensive plays? He said, we're working through it. What does it feel like to you, though, right now? Who's going to be calling defensive plays on game day in 2024? Sean, and I think that's why he wouldn't say that he's not doing I'm going to go the other way. You really think? Okay. Well, I don't know what's the right answer. I thought, I Sean, I thought Sean McDermott actually did a pretty good job of calling yeah. plays last year for the most part. There were a couple times when you're like, okay, I know it's so much more complicated than like, hey, why did they blitz or something like that. But it feels like it's one of those things where it's like if it's not broke, don't fix it and maybe give Bobby Babich a year in the role to kind of get his feet wet a little bit more because this is a big change for him. It's not like it's not like Joe Brady taking over for Ken Dorsey where Joe Brady had called plays and then was a position coach and then was once again calling plays. This will be the first time at this level that he is calling plays. Maybe they have some sort of combination plan that they have to figure out. Maybe they both want to do it. But I think Sean does it next year, and nothing that I heard on Monday made me change my mind. Okay, so actually something I did hear on Monday or not here, I don't know how to phrase this. I've been, I, I, I agree with a lot of what you said, and, and I think it's very possible Sean McDermott does it. But, Matt, I go back a year ago, mm-hmm. after Leslie Frazier stepped away, we kind of got inklings right away mm-hmm. that Sean was going to call defensive plays. Like, we were basically clued in on that. Mm-hmm. Nothing like that this year. He keeps talking like we're going to figure that out. Mm-hmm. It's kind of trending to me towards we're going to give it to Bobby. We're not going to tell anybody that until it comes time because we don't want Bobby inundated with that. Mm-hmm. I want him to get kind of – comfortable and unknowing that's what it feels like to me but maybe they really haven't decided I don't know but I think it's a little bit of a different comparison because at that point last year when we found out Leslie Frazier wasn't coming back we were already at this point in the offseason where the cycle has already kind of happened there are very few hires that are happening at this point most of those things have been done so I think last year when we learned Leslie Frazier wasn't coming back we did not anticipate that they were going to go out and just find a defensive coordinator now they've had that position in place for the last month so I think it's a little bit different of how they handled it last year. I just... What do you think? Let me ask you this. It is, of course, possible. Eric Washington goes to Chicago. He's not going to call defense. Does Bobby, with all the interviews he got, does he say, I'm not doing it unless... I'm not staying to do it unless I'm calling plays because otherwise he might get an opportunity somewhere else. I don't know if the other team's offered that or not, of course, right? What if it's a long-term play, though? What if he thinks he can be better down the road learning for a year because he I mean he's still a really young yes guy. he is and he's never done it and he's never done it so maybe he thinks that he's protecting himself a little bit by learning for a year this is also a very crucial year for the bills they all are at this point what is the best case scenario if Bobby Babbage calls plays that he's as good at it at it as Sean McDermott That's a great point this isn't like one of those learn on the job type deals this is not a team that is just trying to get through a season this is a team that thinks that they can win a Super Bowl so I think eventually he should get that job but at the same time, I don't know if I'm doing that now. I may be doing that, like if you win a Super Bowl, then okay, go learn because we want to win multiple. But as you're still searching for your first one, I think you need your best play caller. And I think right now that is Sean, even though it does take his mind away from some other stuff. Well, that I want to touch on that to end, but quickly also, Sean did mention, I thought it was interesting, Adding some guys of college experience on his staff like Jamila Dye. Bobby Babich has coached in college. There's a couple lower-level assistants. I thought it's really interesting he's thinking about that because the game has changed at all these different levels where they've seen it. So it's a younger staff. In that regard, he may want to have that 30,000-foot view to kind of concentrate on making sure everything's kind of in place there. And now he's on the competition committee, too. And he even said, before he accepted it, he wanted to make sure, what does it entail? I don't want to take away from my team. So I'm wondering if he feels he needs to take a little bit off his plate. Maybe. And I think that that is a very valid point. But 
I don't know what the added responsibility last year took away from. I, I can't and, and he was successful. Yeah, I can't think of a moment where I was like, that one is specifically on the head. Co- I mean, there are times when you can certainly nitpick and say that Sean, if you have criticisms of Sean McDermott, I think it is a much more big picture question than he is doing too much. I think you don't think that he can get you from where you are to ultimately over the hump. But I don't think if you're one of those people, you think any differently if he's calling plays or if he's not calling plays. I think it's probably a lot, but I also think he likes it. I think that he is somebody who really wants to have complete control. That goes both ways. I've heard coaches say that the best coaches are the ones who just let their offensive and defensive coordinators do their thing, and they completely stay out of it. Or you can be somebody who is very, very controlling. But I look at the Chiefs. Like, that's not Matt Nagy's offense, right? That's Andy Reid's offense. And they have won three Super Bowls. So... It makes you wonder, does it really matter? Because they've seemed to have, they've seemed to have success. All right, let's wrap it up with the competition committee. Sean McDermott gets named to a very prestigious committee. I mean, this is these are people who Commissioner Goodell appoints, and you have to have some skin in the game and some stake in this league. Head coaches, CEOs, executive, John Mara, uh, Stephen Jones is on this. I mean, Rich McKay is the competition committee chairman. He's the CEO of the Falcons. So Sean obviously talked about how important it is, but he didn't give any indication of what he feels necessarily on the tush-push, the kickoffs, the fumble out of the end zone. All he did say it is kind of the player's responsibility. That's a coaching point. But it is interesting that the Bills now have a coach on the competition committee and what that entails. What would be one rule you would change if you could change anything? If you were on the competition committee for a day and you had veto power, what would be the one rule that you would change? I don't. You put me on the spot here. I don't know what I would do, but I don't really like the fumble out of the end zone although I do respect the point of it is on the player but I do think it's too punitive Mm -hmm. to take the ball away from the offense and give it to the defense the other team at the 20. Yeah I I don't I don't hate it like I just kind of think that I understand that it's a different rule but protect the ball right like you can avoid it completely if I I got one I got one I don't know what rule to go there's been a lot of proposals we got to get some way for the offense to get the ball back like an onside kick change those rules back there's there's no there's no way anymore to get the ball back if you score late and you need it back, right? And there's been proposals like, give them a fourth and 25. That's fine. Yeah. Something like that I would change. Interesting. I'm trying to think of other things that I would definitely change. I think that there should be some sort I don't like the way they do the challenge thing. I don't like that if you lose the first challenge, that means no matter what, you only have one more. I get it at the same time that, you know, if you're right, you don't have to worry about that. I just don't like the way they handle channel. I almost think that it should be like a college football type deal where all of those plays are just reviewed by the booth if it is something that's close, and then you take it out of the coach's hands. I know that's part of the game, but it just feels a little bit too inconsistent. Obviously, like, there's nitpicky things about penalties and about officiating, but I don't think that's stuff that they're really hammering home on the competition committee. All right, so this week we'll be here, obviously, WGR 550 and online, WGR550.com, at Sal Sports on X, and then Matt's going to be on the TV side. Yeah, Channel 7, we've got coverage all week. We're excited to be out here. This is a fun one, and, you know, we'll hear from Brandon Bean later today. By the time you probably all hear this, we'll probably have more from Brandon Bean, and we'll record a couple more episodes while we're here as well. Thanks to Emery Hunt for joining us as well. Great insight. It is is NFL 2024 Combine time. Yep, the uh, 2024 offseason has officially begun.